0: Welcome to Raising Standards, with Rhiannon Evans and Matt Smith, a true Roman history podcast for true Romans. Hail Caesar. Welcome to Raising Standards, an occasional rewatch podcast in which we take a fond but critical look at HBO's Rome. I'm Rhiannon Evans.
1: And I'm Matt Smith. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at season one, episode 11, The Spoils was written by Bruno Heller and directed by Michael Salomon. In this episode Lucius Verenus begins his new job as a politician but is caught up in a disagreement between Caesar and his veterans. Titus Pullo continues his downward spiral and Brutus begins to question his allegiance to Caesar. Hello Rhiannon. Hey Matt. So a lot of action in this episode which is you know, something that I've been asking for, so I can't really (laughs) fault it for delivering. And
0: Caesar's back, and I've been asking for that.
1: Yes. Majorly back. This is everything that I could possibly want in an episode of Rome, except for Cicero.
0: Oh, did you miss him?
1: I miss his potential. Is that fair?
0: He gets mentioned, doesn't he? Uh, Mm. And for being long-winded, basically, as I remember. Yeah. And I feel like... It would have been good to have had an example of that. I I wonder whether there's something on a cutting room floor that was deemed a bit too boring for the audience, but actually I'd love it.
1: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, we've never quite seen him unleashed. uh, I think that's the hazard of running time. If you want Cicero to be long-winded, he needs his own episode of of (laughs) long-windedness. He needs his side series. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the episode that we were delivered, quite good. Did you enjoy it?
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah? Mm -hmm. It was brutal, but... Yeah,
1: yeah. I guess that's the the HBO benefit kind of thing of cable television, mm-hmm. or what it would become known for, mm-hmm. at least. So, yeah, I thought that there were a few different themes that we could tease out when talking about this episode. I thought that we could talk about the judicial system and the experience of Pullo mm-hmm. for that, and we can talk about how Caesar dealt with his veterans. Uh, I thought that those would be two kind of good things to name from, but... One thing that concerns me right off the bat for this episode is that when, uh, in the history books, you look where, say the Caesar's triumph falls, Mm. which was the last episode and where he dies, which, you know, kind of spoiler where we're leading up to that. And there's one episode before the end of the season, make of that what you will. They're playing fast and loose with time in this, aren't they?
0: Uh, yes, they are, and for dramatic reasons. So for example, when the newsreader says that Caesar's been named dictator for life, mm. that's February forty four. He's gonna be killed the following month. Right. So are we meant to think that we're there? I mean, most people watching it won't be going in with their timeline and their calendars. Yeah, so I don't yeah. think we necessarily are. But that would make it two years after the triumph. okay, And it's also kind of late to be talking about what you're going to do for the veterans. Mm. So I think they're merging together timelines here in a way that's understandable, but doesn't quite reflect the historical path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess as soon as for argument's sake, you would be talking about the veterans is when you get back from Egypt, really actually probably uh, chasing down Cato afterwards.
0: Yeah, from Africa.
1: Yeah. So that's when you would really need to have the conversation about veterans, not two years after. But having said that in the timeline of the show, this seems to be set really recently after Caesar's triumph because you've got him getting his new seat, for gets example. Gets a new
0: chair every episode now, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
1: he, he gets a new chair with a with a back on it because Cicero is... Uh, A bit too eloquent and uh, a bit of a windbag, I think is maybe as Mark Anthony puts it or infers at least.
0: Yeah, he needs a comfortable seat to sit through there.
1: Yeah. You get those kind of indications that it's really soon after the previous episode, but at the same time, it hasn't taken long for Pullo to become a a jaded hitman and uh, for him to become quite nonchalant about um, humming and chasing people down in the streets of Rome and just, you know, killing them in front of old ladies and what have you. So that was really quick.
0: I don't think it would take that long to become a jaded hitman, and Polo has a long history of killing. Mm. Most of it has been in the service of, I mean, it's been his job and it's an accepted job as a soldier, yeah. Whereas this is a kind of uh, you know, if you accept the role of the army, this is a perversion of that. Mm. I, I didn't have so much of an issue with it,
1: okay. All right, I mean,
0: I think he could get jaded in a few weeks. The thing about Polo is he's been presented as somebody who will react instantly to an insult to any kind of perceived issue, like the woman he loves being betrothed to someone else. Yeah. He'll just lash out. Mm. But we've also been shown he's kind of got these inner depths. Yeah. And so I'm not surprised that he, he's being presented as somebody who then has to go and get drunk to cope with what he's doing. Mm. Mm.
1: But this is just this is just essentially, you know, killing for the coin. So, uh, and actually, oh, segue. Speaking of coin, the other kind of thing when it comes to timing is that when Lucius Verinus is visited by his old army mate, uh, who is uh, a soldier called Mascius, Mascius holds up a coin and says, Look, Caesar's even putting himself on the coin.
0: Your brothers are unhappy, very unhappy. They feel the old chiefs forgot who brought him here. They cannot have more coin. There is an agreement. Aye, ah, there is. There is. And it's adequate coin. Got his picture right now, I see. A coiner may depict what he likes.
1: What's the turnover between uh, Caesar taking control of Rome, minting coins, and them getting in general circulation? Because I don't know about you, but I very rarely see a coin in the year that it is minted.
0: Well, Mm. look, I'm going to challenge what you say there because, I mean, it's a little bit later, but if you think about the short-lived emperors of the year 69, they managed to get coins out.
1: They did, actually, yeah, yeah. They were very quick on that.
0: So, yeah. I'm not sure it does take that long if you want it to happen. All right. You mm. know, this is the benefit of dictatorship.
1: You want to kiss you the say- galba, you have the coin ready to go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, if you say the word, <laughs> yeah. it, it happens. Sure. Okay. But you don't need a committee.
1: <laughs> so, how long was Caesar dictator for life? That was just a month, didn't you say, before he gets actually. So, that's, that's not long that he was dictator, technically. I know. Well, he had
0: been dictator. Remember, the whole thing about dictator is that it's for an assigned amount of time. Yeah. And he had been made dictator for 10 years. Mm. That 10 years hadn't elapsed. But even before it's elapsed, he's getting in there. I mean, you still see this happening in certain countries around the world. People trying to ensure that at the end of this time period of their office, they won't be thrust out of office. Yeah. So this is what he's doing. It's now for the rest of his life. The rest of his life is a lot shorter than 10 years. So (laughs) obviously there's a lot more nuance to this and there's planning going on even earlier. But symbolically, at least, it's easy to see that as the the final straw.
1: Yes. It is just one of a number of titles he was getting at the time, isn't it? Yes. Yeah.
0: Suetonius has a massive list of these towards the end of his life of Caesar, chapter 76. He lays it on so hard you you sort of understand where the uh, conspirators are coming from. This is a quote from from Fusio Not only did he accept excessive honours, that word excessive, kind of priming us, such as uninterrupted consulship, Mm -hmm. the dictatorship for life, there's that one, the censorship of public morals, this is a really important magistracy and it allows you to throw senators out of the Senate, for one thing.
1: Always good fun.
0: As well as the forename Imperator, right, which you're kind of meant to have when you're a general. Mm. The surname Father of His Country. I question the translation surname there, but the title Father of His Country. <laughs> Mr. Father of His Country. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's in Latin, Pater Patriae. I mm. mean, that is a huge honour. It's been given to a handful of people throughout the whole of Roman history. A statue among those of the kings, which is symbolically bad if you're trying not to look like a monarch. And a raised couch in the orchestra. This will be at events like at the theatre. But he also allowed honours to be bestowed on him, which were too great for mortal man. Right. For example, a golden throne in the house. This is in the Senate
1: oh, throne. See, we, we we saw that in this episode, but it wasn't a golden throne. Well, although, they
0: specifically said it's not a throne, didn't they? Th- that that was the, a,
1: the the point of discussion of between Brutus and Cassius there, mm. and um, and you know Cassius was the one going, look, you know, it, it's a throne, and Brutus has gone. Mm a bit chair-like <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, yeah it's not it hasn't got as much decoration it's not as extravagant he says but needs yeah. a bit
1: of bling <laughs> <laughs>
0: In the house and on the judgment seat, so when he's acting as a judge, a chariot and a litter in the procession at the circus. It looking a bit triumphal, generalish, but for every day. Mm. Temples, altars and statues besides those of the gods. So he's his own statues being put up alongside statues of the gods, which makes you think Caesar is godlike. Uh, A special priest, which only God should have. Mm. An additional college of the Luperci. So he's bringing in new colleges of priests. I have to say Augustus would continue this trend. So uh, this is not only Caesar. And the calling of one of the months by his name. So in other words, this gets mentioned in the episode. The newsreader
1: does say that, yes. uh, Fifth month of the year will be called July. Yes. Yes.
0: So after Julius... Um, And if you're confused because it's the seventh month for us, it was called Quinctilus Mm. by the Romans, which originally meant fifth, but the calendar had shifted around.
1: I I was confused, thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this is a huge number of honours. It really places him beyond all other, Mm. but just dictator for life on its own. Uninterrupted consulships, says Suetonius. You're breaking two rules of the republic right there. Consulship Mm. is meant to be for a year and then you're not meant to do it for another 10 years. People have been breaking that line left right and center recently. Yeah. Dictatorship for life, it's just, you know, dictator perpetuus in Latin. It does not exist. It does not compute even <laughs> because it is a position for 6 months. Yeah. It should only ever be that. Mm. It's been slightly abused before but never to this extent.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: So this is a huge, they're quite right to present it like that in this episode, that he's he's putting a huge burden on the Republic and it's pretty clear that he is breaking the Republic.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, this entire season at this point is building up to, you know, something in the next episode.
0: I think you've already said it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
1: I don't think I have. But, you know, anyway, read of that what you will. At the same time. It seems like the motivation for Brutus to act is the fact that Caesar is taking these titles and putting himself in a position that he could misuse. Not so much that Caesar misuses it. You know, Caesar forgives all his enemies. Mm -hmm. He's not going around killing senators well, officially. But you know what I mean? It's not a misuse of power kind of motivation for Brutus. It's a potential for misuse of power.
0: Yeah, that's the way it's presented in this episode. But you see, it's it's always difficult, isn't it? Because uh, while the evidence we have shows that Caesar didn't necessarily use the full extent of his powers. And, yeah. and this will continue with, with Augustus as well. You kind of don't need to because people know they can only go so far because there's the potential for the dictator or in the future the emperor yeah. to come in and stop you. Given that already Caesar is basically nominating all the magistrates and we saw that happen with Varanus, even down at, so that's kind of micromanaging, that's at a reasonably low level. Mm. So he's got his people in place. So if you know that, See, this, is like in the US with people getting primaried, isn't it? If you know, if you act in a certain way, you won't have that magistracy next time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're not going to do it. So there's a kind of way that just being It's dictator, a hang, hanging threat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's pulling the puppet strings without it being necessarily obvious.
1: Mm. And I suppose that's a good way to uh, kind of segue into uh, Pullo's chosen career, which Caesar makes direct use of indirectly...
0: Yeah, I and mean, that doesn't become entirely clear until the end of the episode, or no. we suspect it. Yes, and because
1: there there is, uh, and and so this is um, uh, Pullo going around uh, knifing a, a couple of low level but prominent politicians who might be vocally disagreeing with what Caesar is doing.
0: This has been outsourced to mm. the local mafioso equivalent. Yes. Um, Erastes Fullman, he's called, isn't he? Yes. And Pullo is now working for. So there's no direct link. It sort of makes sense to set it up like this because, of course, there had been gangs and thugs going around Rome, as we've sort of seen in the series, but certainly well, yes, Varinus, throughout the 50s.
1: Well, directly worked for Erastes Fullman a couple of episodes ago, mm. and it's interesting to see how he and Pullo both approached the occupation differently. I think... Uh, Varinus went as far as breaking a man's arm, but mm. when he was directed to kill him, he kinda, of, you know, said that's enough I'm walking away. The kind of interesting thing about this man who is killed is that it is Octavian who directly says to Caesar, Are you responsible for the killing of him?
0: The man he killed was Aufidius Dento, deputy chief of the Kylian Nailmakers Association, popular man apparently, and a vocal critic of my leadership. People will suspect I ordered his death. And I must not confirm those suspicions by helping Pullo. And did you?
1: order his death?
0: I did not know he existed until he didn't.
1: And it turns out that Octavian was right on the money there.
0: You know what, I hadn't really thought about that, but you're quite right. Again, we keep getting this kind of drip-drip feed of just how clever Octavian is politically. That he sees people's motives and he... You know, he can read people. He knows how the power structures are working. And even though he's told no and seems to accept that, he's right to suspect, and he is correct in the end. He's really being depicted throughout as somebody who's politically canny.
1: Mm. So one of the storylines that we've got uh, teased out in this episode is where one of Caesar's veterans, Mascius, who is representing, it seems, the entire 13th Legion, I'm assuming, that... Yeah, Verinus so. and Pullo used to be a member of. Kind of says, right? We've done our bit. We were promised land and money, and I think they've they've been given the money. They've
0: been given a lot of money. Mm. Remember in the last episode, like more than he said he'd give them initially. It's
1: money and like much. like everyone gets a slave as well, a gallic yeah. slave, that yeah. sort of thing. Property, yeah. Exactly. But they want land, which they were promised.
0: Mascius I respect his honesty. Tell him my veterans are as sons to me, and to all loyal veterans I shall give good lands in um, Pannonia, good, fertile, bottom lands.
1: So, what was the reality of this? Caesar did give land to his veterans. I mean, Pompey gave land to his veterans. This mm-hmm. is why we get a lot of, you know, colonies spun off around the empire that are set up. As a retirement village for veterans, you yeah, get some land and yeah,
0: they're not necessarily new towns, but sometimes they are. so they're technically called Municipia, mm. which means that they are towns usually where where Roman citizens are settled. So yeah, this happens throughout especially northern Italy and the kind of inner northern Europe, I guess you'd call it at this point. yeah, so um, and it continues to happen. It's kind of sometimes hard to distinguish. It continues to happen um, with Augustus too because there will continue to be wars and veterans to be settled. Yeah, This was, in as much as someone like Caesar has a kind of uh, manifesto, a promise that he's made, this is something that's featured very, very strongly. And as you say, it's been contested by the Senate or the old version of the Senate for decades. And Mm. It's something that people like Pompey, Back in the time of the Gracchi, even you know there was argy bargy over land. Yes, and this is continuing here. But Caesar, because he's dictator, it's not really a problem. He can he can settle his veterans uh, wherever he wants to. Yeah, well, on this, that this
1: in this case, he says that uh, he's going to give his veterans land in Pannonia. Was mm. his suggestion,
0: which is sort of modern, quite a few countries: Austria, Hungary, yeah. Croatia. I think you know, a lot of the Balkans. And
1: it's off uh, Illyria way.
0: Yeah. In ancient terms, Illyria, I guess to the northeast of Italy. And the, yeah, Caesar did deliver the land to his men. So this is this is kind of imagining a localized dispute over that, over exactly where that's going to be. Mm. I think from memory, most of the land that was redistributed in Italy, that had been done previously, kind of in deals for Pompey's veterans so it's kind of not surprising that it's happening a bit further afield here. Mm. But it works for the plot because it sets in motion, as you say, com- inner conflict for Varenus. Yes. Does he side with his old legion mm. or is he now just Caesar's man? Yeah. And, you know, throughout this episode, we see him in the toga, Yeah, uh, which we saw a little bit last time. But it still feels a bit unusual, doesn't it? That he's now being this civic person with civic responsibilities. Yeah. And he's realizing what a what a nightmare it is, keeping everyone happy, having somebody who's very distinctly the boss. Yeah. But also having to deal with the complaints of others and having divided loyalties himself. Yeah. Which which we sort of I won't go into the detail of it now, but we see his love of the Legion come out in the climax of the episode. Mm,
1: mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that this entire episode is, uh, well, we know that Varinus has this job, but him just never being comfortable with it. He, lo-
0: he looks very uncomfortable in the toga.
1: Well, well not just in the toga, you know, going to the boss's house for dinner, yeah, which is essentially, you know, that scene we get without the, the 50s madcap uh, errors coming up while they're trying to cook a meal or something like that. And, you know, how uh, humble his wife Niobe, comes across by saying, you know, Oh, I made this dress myself and Atia being very uh kinda what's the talking down kind of thing? Patronizing. Patronizing.
0: Yeah. But but Naobi knows, doesn't she? She's upset by it. She mm. Because Atia kind of of, on the surface is charming, but there's that catty undertone. Yeah. I think the irony of all of that, and I wonder if they were thinking of it, is that under Augustus in particular, but this is sort of a Roman virtue, is that Roman women should be making clothing. And we we know, we've talked about this before, Livia Livia was supposedly doing that, and Octavia. Uh, So, you know, she is acting in a way that makes her a good good Roman matrona. Yeah, yeah. But for Artya, it's just ridic- ridiculous for this yes. version of Artia.
1: Yeah. The other flip side of this as well, I guess, presenting Varinus this way, is having mass years come when Varinus is holding court, essentially, and making magisterial kind of decisions
0: I like that they called him patron. And mm. He referred to them as clients. Yes, yeah, which is very much reflects the Roman terminology.
1: And Mascius just completely approached him like he was that they were still comrade in arms, mm. despite the fact that Verenus is sitting there a bit regally thr- mm. on a throne, almost, but in a position of power, flanked by the women of his household and the slaves. And you know, you're sitting there in your fancy toga with your ladies and your slaves and your exotic blue parrot. I'm here getting the raw deal out of Mm. Caesar's war, despite all the work that I've done. I think they did that kind of really well.
0: Yeah. To reflect his different role now and the fact that this is something that your old comrade finds difficult. I mean, they have to come begging, Mm. but it feels stepped down for him, doesn't it, for Matthew? yeah. feels uh, uncomfortable, to say the least. Erase that.
1: It'll do no good. The image is on every wall, on every hill. Don't worry about those scribbles. King Caesar knows you're his loyal friend.
0: Oh, I'm not worried about that. No, it's just, do I truly look like that? It's near. Well, oh, it's tragic. Hmm.
1: Oh, but an image cannot catch your vim, your noble vitality. I speak only what's true. You have that grace in action they say your noble ancestor had.
0: That's why I to put you on the walls. They see him in you. Yeah, they see my wretched name, that's all. Simpletons. Let us speak of something else. Those weighted Ooh. names huh? You may call a cat a fish. It will not swim.
1: Let's uh, pivot slightly and talk about another storyline that is teased out in this episode, and that is the wavering allegiance of Brutus. So Brutus is starting to feel the weight of his lineage upon him, uh, the expectations of his mother, and also a bit of peer pressure from his colleague Cassius, really, to... Mm. Do something about Caesar and to be the one who acts and takes a stand against him. And the start of this being illustrated is him coming across some graffiti.
0: They use graffiti well in this series, don't they, to kind of show us. And, and this is very much the way historians approach it, mm. that it shows us something about the voice of the people, which yeah. we find very hard to get at otherwise. Well, it, it
1: weaves it all the way through the opening credits. You yeah. hit with it just to start with. Exactly. But this is the most uh, poignant kind of use of it during an episode so far, I think. There was a graffiti on the wall of Brutus killing Caesar, trying to guilt him into action.
0: Yeah, I guess so. And as you say, they are, I think we've discussed this before, but they're trying to make him recall the Brutus, who was allegedly his ancestor, Mm. who drove out the kings. It's almost like this sort of cyclical version of Roman history Mm -hmm. where they had kings who degenerated into tyrants. So Brutus drove them out and became the first consul, one of the first two consuls. And now 500 years on, we've got Rome going towards monarchy again. Yeah. So why isn't Brutus rising up and doing the job his ancestor did?
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah. So when you die, you become grass and the antelope eats the grass. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're referring to, even though I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's Shakespeare. <laughs> 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 the... Um The graffiti, I think, is based on uh, rhymes that we we have quoted that were supposedly sung everywhere, I think, rather than appearing as graffiti, quoted by people like Suetonius, again, in The Life of Caesar. So Mm -hmm. in chapter 80, he says this is a verse, a rhyme that was sung everywhere. First of all was Brutus' consul since he drove the kings from Rome. Since this man drove out the consuls, he at last is made our king. So this man there is Caesar, and there's this idea that he's now done what Brutus did, but the other way around, Mm. that um, Brutus installed the Republic and Caesar's driven it out and become king. So we've gone back to having kings. And also, uh, we do have some graffiti cited by Suetonius. Some wrote on the base of Lucius Brutus' statue the original Brutus. The original Brutus, yep. Oh, that you were still alive.
1: Mm-hmm. All
0: right? So we, we want a man like you back. Yeah, That's if you were alive, right you'd here. be
1: doing something about this. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
0: So what they're doing here is very definitely based on some of our historical sources. Yeah. Uh, and and that there is this kind of popular movement against Caesar, apparently, mm. much as he is very popular with the people generally.
1: Yeah. And we've got uh, other accounts as well, though, so from Plutarch specifically, and also from Dio, mm. which is this graffiti encouraging Brutus to act.
0: Yeah. Dio actually says that there are pamphlets discussing this. And a directly engaging Brutus, mm. as Dio says in Book 44, Chapter 12, these pamphlets, declaring that he, Brutus, was not truly that man's descendant. And referring then, it, it goes on to say, for the older Brutus had put to death both his sons. And what that is uh, referring to is that his sons tried to bring the kings back. because mm. There's a war afterwards. The kings are only exiled. They're not killed. Um, And some Romans go out to join them and and engage in trying to restore them. And Brutus, because he was consul, it's his job to declare that a Roman citizen should be put to death. Yeah. Basically, that happens for treason, Mm. uh, which is something we might go on to discuss in a bit, um, punishment for crimes. So he has to have his sons executed. But he did it because he was loyal to Rome and loyal to the Republic. Yes. So it's a pretty high bar. Yeah, that poor Brutus yeah. has to rise up to. Yeah. There's this weight of his ancestor. And I I thought that I thought Tobias Menzies did that really well. Mm. Uh, he gets little bits of dialogue, but a lot of it was his inner conflict you saw on his face. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, he's he's nailing it in every scene. Mm. But I, I particularly like the scene that he has with Caesar later on where Caesar tries to give him Where they're
0: playing at the board game. The, chess yeah Uh, early yeah it's not chess but
1: yeah not chess but chess (laughs) where they're playing vulcan 3d chess (laughs) and caesar is trying to send brutus away to a nice position but doesn't want to make it sound like he's exiling him because he's worried about him
0: as my father as my father i looked on for a year or so no more until the city's dead, Forgive me. I feel unwell. Perhaps we can finish this game another time. Be reasonable. You're in every wall with a knife at my throat. It would be foolish to ignore it. Only tyrants need worry about tyrant killers. And you are no tyrant. Haven't you told me so many times? You may go.
1: Brilliant acting. Mm. Probably never happened. Yeah. But, Wow. Was right,
0: <laughs> brings all of the tension together that's for sure, and the you know the psychology that may have been mm-hmm. occurring for both of them at that time and it is it is very well done, isn't it because uh, they both know, yeah. and, and it becomes clear they both know what Caesar's trying to do here, but um given that he has this paternal and they use that those kind of terms, don't they yes the father yeah, yeah. here role with regard to brutus mm. um that he's he's giving him a and you know a nice proconsulship this is something that can give him status, but mm. it's also protecting himself and mm. moving Brutus away so that mm. these comments maybe will die down a bit and we'll just just wait until... It very much presents Caesar as this, you know, I forgive everyone, but I just need to manoeuvre everyone into the right yeah, place yeah, yeah. and make sure. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> but if
1: anything, it pushes Brutus further away from him. Yeah. And put, it doesn't and, work. Yeah, no, bad psychology. No, definitely not. No, massive, <laughs> massive backfire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like that escalated quickly kind of territory there mm. okay um now I know previously you mentioned law courts and everything. <laughs> so let's uh, let's cleanly kind of segue into that area and we'll talk about what happens to pullo Pullo has been working for Erastus Fullman as a knife man a person who takes care of problems uh, he goes up to him at one point and says do you have another name for me mm. so it's a rather you know, an explicit sort of problem that pullo has been dealing with. But at the same time, Erastus Foreman doesn't seem that impressed with him. Uh, you know, Because he's not subtle enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so. And the, and the two guys who sit around with Erastus Foreman are subtle, aren't they? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> the word that I used to describe them. One of them, I don't, I don't know if this is ever said in an episode, but I'm, I'm looking at the credits here. One of them is named Pertinax which I guess they just went through a list of Roman emperors and pointed at a name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, an an emperor with not a great reputation, I believe. No. That's uh, outside of my time period.
1: He got a spear thrown in him. He wasn't emperor Mm -hmm. for very long, uh, right in between Commodus and Septimius Severus. Oh,
0: he's played by Ewan Bailey. He does a lot of stuff on Radio 4. I didn't know what he looked like because I've mostly listened to him on the radio. (laughs) Now I do.
1: There you go. So... Pullo has a, a crisis of conscience after killing a man, is chased by an old lady down the streets who is yelling, murderer, murderer, you don't know anything about true love. And then he essentially sits down and has a nervous breakdown in which there's a scene of, you know, multiplicity of old ladies hassling him about the murder. Yeah, and, is it Ophidius yeah.
0: Dento that he kills? There we go. Ophidio, they keep yes, calling it. Yes, Which is Ophidio. Which I'm not sure why. His yeah. name's Ophidius, but anyway. I don't know whether they're trying to indicate some kind of... The Romans had a fear of um, invidia, mm. which technically means envy, but is basically something that gnaws away at you and could be because of wrongdoing. Mm. Uh, I know envy doesn't sound like that to us, but it's kind of wrapped up with nemesis and vengeance. They did have some belief in ghosts, Yeah. I mean, she's not a ghost because she's not dead, but... No. Because he doesn't kill her, does he? He attacks her, does then holds back.
1: He kind of yells at her and waves a knife and then kind of thinks to himself, what am I doing, and Mm. drops the knife, and off he goes. Pullo is always presented as a morally grey, but mostly moral kind of person. You know, he mightn't always do the right thing, but he tries to do it for the right reasons. (laughs) And this... Happening so quickly, I guess, is a reflection of that kind of thing getting to him. I don't know. I I don't love the direction that they've taken the character in the last episode and a half.
0: (laughs) They've really pushed us to the edge of our loyalty to Polo. They've Mm. made him a very likable character, even though he is reactive and violent. Mm. Uh, But I think, I don't know whether it's deliberate, but I feel like the 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 script and the direction is really trying to stretch that as far as we as viewers can go yeah and while I was watching it I felt a bit like you that I you know Polo's lost me a bit here but I actually think dramatically and given how violent a society ancient Rome was mm-hmm. then maybe there's a good reason for doing that because frankly if we met the average ancient Roman, we probably wouldn't get on with them. They are a whole world away from us. It's a whole different level of societal expectation. Mm. Although, as we see within this episode, Polo is going too far for the rules of Rome. Yeah, yeah. Seemingly mostly because he won't be subtle about it. You get this impression that if he if he were just catching people in very dark corners and, and getting rid of them there... He could get away with it Mm. and arrest his form and be fine with that. It's the fact that he's doing it openly in the street.
1: Yes, and and singing while he does it. So he is arrested. Look, I I know that's probably a problematic term, but let's get into that in a second. It's Octavian who takes pity on him and feels some sort of responsibility for him. I guess loyalty, Mm. which is, you know, a good quality for a future emperor to have. Uh, Sends Tymon to go and employ a lawyer
0: the worst lawyer in the world, apparently. An orator? No, he's a lawyer. Yeah. Having a defence lawyer is uh, look that that happened. Yeah, we know of it happening from very high profile cases where people were tried in the Senate, which is clearly not what's happening here. Mm. So Cicero would take on defences for his mates. Yes, yeah. <laughs> often people who were being tried, say for extortion after their magistracy, something like that, mm. and you know murder cases too. But that's clearly not the same league as it's a whole league above where yeah. we are here. And Cicero, by the way, never gets paid. That's considered lowly ah. for a lawyer to get paid. So this is a different grade of lawyer yeah. that uh, needs to work for money. Mm. Oh, <laughs> Moses, you need law. Number one justice right here, right here. Take me, boss. Top lawyer, top lawyer. You're good, are you? Good, I could have Medea acquitted. What's your case? Man, name of Titus Pullo. On your way, Jew. You don't want the case? I'd rather suck Pluto's thorny cock. So when, when Tymon holds up the bag, of, the little bag of, money, of money, that's kind of an indicator that yeah. we're, we're dealing with lowly with cast world's, people. With the
1: world's worst lawyer. So this is uh, Priscus Mavis, who is played by the actor Bruce McKinnon. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, and I wonder whether they picked pr- Priscus means first because he's, he's a, sort of a little boy lawyer, isn't he? He's clearly not had much experience. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, I guess you get what you paid for mm. and, and this is a case that nobody seems to want. Yeah. It's considered a lost cause. So, polo killing somebody in itself isn't illegal, is it? It's, <laughs> it it's, as you say, it's the fact that he did it out in the open. Uh,
0: it is illegal. Murder yeah. is illegal. Yeah, yeah, I know, but, you know... We, Apart from we, slaves.
1: Yeah, we, we seem to hear about it, you know, very infrequently that, you know, prosecuting it is kind of kept within a private affair kind mm-hmm. of thing.
0: Yeah, it would be up to the family to take Mm. up the case. Yeah. They might have done.
1: I remember one really strange kind of murder mystery that came up during the reign of Tiberius because Tiberius took a really strange amount of interest in the case Mm. and kind of went and mismarpled it himself and said, no, you pushed your wife out the window. Mm. Is this sounding familiar? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. So, you know, but besides that, we don't hear of a, you murdered this, the police are going to go... And investigate it and arrest you, and then you're going to be prosecuted and put in a pit with some cockroaches and then put in the arena.
0: That whole narrative yeah. is kind of more aligned with our version of justice, I guess. So the family may have prosecuted this case, was there's no indication of that in this series. Mm. We don't have police. We have these figures called wigilays, these vigilant people. They're kind of also connected with making sure fires don't get out of hand, that kind of thing. So that is a much looser kind of role. If a case were prosecuted and a Roman citizen, really important, his status, he has Roman citizenship, that puts him in a whole protected category. Mm. If you were a slave or a non-Roman, or maybe even an ex-slave, maybe. Oh, you'd
1: just be thrown to the lampreys.
0: A slave could be. Um, A slave might be punished by being thrown into the arena. Maybe as a one-off. I know this is a bit of a sideline because it's about slaves, but I think they're incorporating that because he does end up in the arena. You might be sent to Ad Ludos, they called it, to the gladiatorial school, mm. where you'd be trained as a gladiator. But, but that's the, a punishment because that's is still for slaves. Life. What we're talking about, yeah, that's yeah. slaves. Yeah, or you might just be thrown into the arena without any armor, yeah. and gladiators or wild beasts will finish you off.
1: Yeah,
0: but a Roman citizen can't be punished like that. Yeah, a Roman citizen might be exiled. Fines are very common. Yeah. Maybe for murder, exile would be more likely. Mm. But something that brought you to to your death is not typical for Roman citizens. Mm. You're a protected category and people might think of, uh, you know, in the biblical story that when St. Paul claims he says, I'm a Roman citizen, you've mm. got to send me to Rome at least for a trial. Yes, now, he yes. does, of course, end up getting executed. But that is unusual in itself and it's because he won't deny being a christian mm. he won't give it up if he'd done that all he had to do is deny christ and then he's not gonna be killed as a roman citizen but if he weren't a roman citizen pff, yeah they could just get rid of him in the provinces all right but so again that's a bit of a sideline but yeah where polo ends up seems to be a bit of a mishmash of those different potential punishments yeah yeah so ending up in the arena and i i i I was trying to remember, he is given a weapon to start with, isn't no, he? No, he's not. Oh, he's not. Okay, no. so then he is being treated like a slave who's mm. just been thrown to the gladiators.
1: Okay, so let, let's back up a step then before we get to the arena. Now, the uh, the court proceedings in which uh, Priscus Mavius is quotation fingers defending Pullo, I found that being remarkably on topic. From what I know of these, you know, when Cicero's involved or something like that, it's essentially just a slagging match as, mm. you know who's done what with whose sister and who's the more upstanding citizen. And as a result, do you really think that my, the person I'm defending is better than the person you're defending? It's not kept on facts of what happened in the situation. So this scene very much on topic. And sorry, just before you go ahead, the guy who is arguing against, um, lawyer is named Accusator Negidius, He's played by Peter Eyre, who was in the 1970s Caesar movie with Charlton Heston.
0: Ah, oh. Yeah. Who did he play in that?
1: I don't know that he had a big role. Okay. He played Sinner, the poet.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, actually, he does look familiar from that. So maybe <laughs> I've seen it or at least scenes of it. I think you're right that there is a lot of character assassination. I have to say, I'm not sure we can necessarily say that that never happens in our courts. But but I also thought they didn't do enough. I mean, maybe it's a a factor of Priscus being such a rubbish lawyer, but they make nothing of the fact that Polo has this kind of, I was going to say exemplary service, it's not. But you know, he has been in service in Caesar's army mm-hmm. and of uh, been of some renown. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think even today that would be made a lot of in court, that he's mm-hmm. got this illustrious uh, military career. Yeah. None of that gets mentioned. Actually, and- there's,
1: there's also the fact that in a previous episode, Caesar doesn't punish Varinus and Polo for letting Pompey go, which is a much bigger, mm-hmm. you know, transgression to do. And Caesar says at that point, these two men are lucky and mm-hmm. therefore I'm not going to mess with them. But he's quite happy for this to all go on.
0: Yeah, but then there's a whole political reason for that, isn't there? Because Caesar can't be seen to get his hands dirty with this. That's
1: right. He does say that to Octavian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and he's not admitting any culpability there. He's not admitting <laughs> having organized the murder of Aufidius. Uh, he's saying it will look bad. It will look like I was involved. Yeah. So he's very conscious I guess this has been true all along, because if we remember back to he cuts off Servilia when people start talking about them as a couple. You remember Artie paid people to start graffitiing? Again with the graffiti, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's always conscious of public image. Yeah. And I think Caesar was quite good at that, but again... It's Augustus who's the master of it. He has a lot more time. Yeah. Uh, As back in Rome, uh, Caesar has hardly any time after he comes back after war. Mm. I think that might be playing into it, Mm. that this is, it's pretty clear that this is how to be a successful emperor to get the PR right. But Caesar doesn't really get that opportunity. He's not there long enough to do it. But while he's there, the way they present him is being very conscious that that appearances matter.
1: Mm -hmm. He does enough without appearing like he's doing enough. Uh, but as it turns out, he was right, and Pullo is very lucky and uh, and survives the arena. So when he goes out into the arena, he doesn't have a weapon. He kind of picks up a sword, gives it a test swing, and throws it aside because it was just, like, discarded from a previous fight, I guess. Ah, uh, that's floor. where
0: I, yeah, yeah, I saw him with a sword. And yeah, I, I didn't yeah. Didn't realize he hadn't been given that. I need to be more observant. <laughs> He's being thrown into the arena like a slave, which, as I say, fairly unlikely. But, of course... I think the reason for all of this is let's have a scene in the arena, and it's it's very filmic, and we've seen it filmed a lot of times, mm. uh, where you have this one one person against the odds defeating these huge kind of thugs of gladiators, yeah. which is very much the way that they're, they're shown here. It's kind of a spectacular scene on screen, isn't it? To you've got it's the Romans, you've got to have a, a scene in the arena. Mm. Mm. I'm, I mean. I, I didn't think they'd do this because they got their they got enough of their details right, but uh, was slightly worried we were going to see the Colosseum, which would be very anachronistic. Oh, <laughs>
1: no, I, I, I would have kind of lost all respect for the show yeah. if it, it suddenly took place But in case anyone was, was worried Coliseum, about yeah. that, why
0: it didn't look like a very grand arena?
1: Colosseum um, wasn't around.
0: No, and then yeah. you know, a lot, most arenas in Rome uh, are not very grand at this point. They're and a, a little,
1: bit spontaneous, weren't yeah,
0: they? Yeah. yeah. Theatres in particular are just ad hoc. You build mm. them up and then knock them down. And so, yeah, you can you can put on games in pretty much any space and, and put up, you know, some wooden seating mm. or just have people standing around even. Yeah. So that was very realistic.
1: Mm. You on the whole 13th, not but bloody mollies. Don't talk to <laughs> <on> the 13th. <laughs> I, I piss on the 13th. <laughs> Pig spawn all of them. So it isn't until the, uh, um, the, can I call them gladiators, who he's fighting mm, against, yeah. um, insult the 13th that really pushes Polo into action. Up until that point, he seems to be quite happy to take his
0: yeah that, punishment. That didn't work very well for me just because if he is being, if he's being executed as a criminal, mm. which if he has no weapon, that's basically what's happening. That did happen. It was kind of the lunchtime lull. Yeah. It really was. That's when you executed criminals. Mm. So the crowd isn't really expecting to see feats of bravery there. That's just wholesale slaughter. Yeah. So the fact that they get annoyed with him for not trying to engage with them. Yeah. Doesn't oh, really make sense.
1: But they want to see a fight, you know.
0: Yeah, they would but, normally, mm. when gladiators are fighting each other. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And they play into that and that that's fine. You know, the idea that the crowd gets engaged, they want to see bravery on show.
1: Maybe it's just, you know, it's an expectation of, you know, uh, coming up next, we've got a a former soldier Mm -hmm. and hero of the 13th Legion, you know, watch Mm -hmm. out everyone. This is going to be a good one. Uh, And he sits down and, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I I, I was fine with that. But also it was was goading Varinus into a reaction, which wasn't Pullo's intention, uh, but definitely the outcome.
0: Yeah, and it kind of ties everything together, doesn't it? Because we were talking about at the beginning with Barinus being uncomfortable as a magistrate, mm. torn when faced with his old fighting colleague, about where his loyalties lie. Yeah, and it's very, when he rushes in and says thirteen at the end, so mm. he's, that's where his heart is really. But also, it brings us back to a, a quote that you pointed out but we haven't discussed um who is it who says to them you and pullo were like castor and pollux
1: that was emascius he says that uh when he's at Verenus's house earlier on he yeah. says you and pullo are as close as castor and pollux you know because he's asking where's pullo
0: where's that old titus pullo i uh, don't know i haven't seen him "Garai, you and pullo were like castor and pollux pullo's dead to me Castor and Pollux are mythical twins, um, mm. actually brothers of Helen and Clytemnestra. One of them's deified, and they get a day each of deification. They share it because they're so close. <laughs> they kind of alternate their deification uh, status. So it is this kind of idiom. It would make sense that you you were close. You were. Joined at the hip, we might say. Yes. And they haven't been, of course, for a couple of episodes, but now Verena shows he's not just going to let Polo die yeah. in this horrific way. Yeah. Great fight scene. It I was. really liked yeah, it. Yeah, it was well <laughs> choreographed. Yeah, I enjoyed it too.
1: One thing that I spent way too long researching was whether you would actually get a mace that's in the shape of a skull. <laughs> looks a bit medievally. Yeah, no, you would. And,
0: and kind of <laughs> fantasy medievally at that, probably not even real medievally. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, that was quite a, a brutal dispatching of that. Huge gladiator. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess, uh, actually, uh, spoiler alert, we will come back to in season two, that kind of dispatching. You'll know when you see it.
0: I feel like that, you know, having the huge, often Germanic, Mm. I don't know if he was meant to be in this, opponent, who always gets slugged down by the hero. I think that's a bit of—I don't want to say cliche, but it's a trope of these arena scenes because it happens in Gladiator, I think, and it happens in other gladiatorial screen versions I've seen. Oh
1: yeah, it's always you know in Pompeii as well. You've dispatched a few people and you think you're doing well yes. and you give a big roar to the clou- crowd, and then suddenly you know the door opens at the side and the Incredible Hulk comes mm-hmm. in.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely, it's it's uh, it goes further than just arena yeah. scenes. Sorry, this um, this
1: literally happened in a Thor movie wow. where the Hulk came in. Yeah, I've seen it,
0: Ragnarok. Okay, oh, all right. No, <laughs> I'm not utterly uh, ignorant of popular culture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um, I really enjoyed it. It oh, was uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I was quite glad to see that they didn't just unleash animals. I don't know. Maybe they couldn't afford them. But then that little kind of arena wouldn't have been able to afford them. Mm. So the fact that it's gladiators, not lions, which are relatively rare. Like it's a big deal to have lions in Rome. It's very expensive. That, I think, uh, again, gave it a realistic touch that this was it's a very Roman thing to have gladiators fight. Yeah. But it's not necessarily big scale kind of big glamorous buildings and, and uh, you know, trumpeters and all kinds of hoopla, mm. uh, it could be more it's kind of awful to say, but every day like this.
1: You've been listening to Raising Standards, an occasional rewatch podcast in which we take a fond look at HBO's Rome with Rhiannon Evans and Matt Smith. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your local friendly neighbourhood podcatching service please leave a review they are always very appreciated you can like raising standards on the emperors of rome facebook page and you can follow both of us on twitter rihannon is at dr rihannon evans i am at nightlight guy and the podcast is at rome podcast that's it today for raising standards so until the next episode i'm matt smith you've been fantastic and thanks for listening.